Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We did it this evening, and that was without any planning whatsoever. And that was, if you notice, as we began our prayer this evening, as Brother Brian led us, we addressed God in a very common way as far as how we begin prayers, but a way that still is extremely meaningful to us. And we've sung songs tonight. I'm certain Brother Ricky selected songs because he saw in the, uh, the bullets in the newsletter the title for tonight's lesson, but they were very fitting for tonight's lesson that address God as Father. I don't know how many times, it's basically countless, that I've prayed either personally or in a group or in a setting such as this where we have addressed or I have addressed God as Father. But that's a difficult term to come to grips with in a lot of ways. One of those reasons it's difficult to come to terms with is because we have earthly fathers and they aren't perfect. Now, don't tell my kids I said that, but, but we understand that that term sometimes can be skewed a little bit because our earthly fathers simply are not perfect. They're, they're flawed individuals. Sometimes it goes even more extreme than that where some who would carry that title of, of a father or a dad, you know, are downright cruel, but even if it's not, that's not the case. Just, just our human frailties can sometimes get in the way of us understanding that concept to its deepest level. But our one word for this week, if you're following along with that, is the word Father. And it has the connotation of God as our Father. And what I want to do tonight is, is take a trip with you through Scripture. We're going to notice several passages. If you have an outline, you're going to notice we're, we're not staying in one text tonight. We're going to move around through Scripture somewhat. But we're going to look at several scriptures that describe God as Father. But then in each of those texts, I want us to see an attribute or a trait of God as Father that make Him the perfect Father. And such He is. It is interesting, though, that while you see God in the Old Testament described as a Father several times, you very rarely see God addressed as Father, in other words, in a prayer as Father. That's why I asked Brighton to read the scripture reading tonight that was familiar to most, if not all of us, what we sometimes call the model prayer, where Jesus began that prayer with those two words, our Father. Addressing God as Father was not unheard of before Jesus came on the scene, but it was nowhere near as common as it is after Jesus. You want to think of it that way. After Jesus sort of opened that door wider and spoke of God as our Father, it's become one of the more common ways for us to address Him in prayer. And He is our Father, and for that we are thankful. But what is God our Father like? What makes Him the perfect Father? I hope you'll take this trip with me through Scripture tonight. First of all, our God is a perfect Father because our Father cares for all. 
We draw this from the writings of David back in Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, you're going to read these words. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before Him. Fatherless, a father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. Now that description found in verse 5 of Psalm 68 may mean more to some than to others, but it may not just jump off the page to a lot of us in the culture in which we live, but it would have to those who originally read that poem. And as David penned these words, they would have been very powerful to describe God as father of or to the fatherless and a protector of the widows. You might think of how many times in the Old Testament, specifically in the Old Testament law, There was a constant teaching and a constant commandment of God's people to protect and to care for and to not defraud orphans and widows or the fatherless and widows. That phrase is found over and over and over, especially in the Old Testament. But even when you come to the days of Jesus, one of those woes that Jesus pronounced upon those hypocritical religious leaders of his day, numbered among those, was that they consumed widows' houses. In other words, to put it very lightly, they were taking advantage of widows in a financial way. But throughout the law of Moses in the Old Testament, there were commands to care for those who had, because of the culture they were in, very little voice in common society. And among those were widows and orphans. We should be grateful that we have improved upon that so much more in our culture. But there still are people who are voiceless or feel voiceless in our culture. God could have made that command to care for widows and orphans, to not defraud them. He could have made that command just simply because He is God and wanted just to make that a command. But I want to suggest to you that the simple fact that God is love, 1 John 4, 8, teaches us that this command to care for the widows and orphans flows directly from His nature. It's a command from God, yes, but it's no surprise it's a command from God because to care for those who do not have a voice or have less of a voice in a culture, and a society, flows from the nature of God Himself. And so David could write then in Psalm 68 and verse 5 that God is Father of the fatherless. And the import I want us to take away from that for all of us is that God does not just care for part of His creation. God does not just care for those that the world says are important. God cares for us all. God cares even for those who think that no one else actually cares for them. And doesn't that make you love your Heavenly Father even more? You may be a person who is held in high esteem in society or even just high esteem within our local community. Or you may be someone who feels as if you're way down the the rungs of the social ladder in some way, shape or form. But wherever you fall on that, we all know at different times in our life, we have felt voiceless, we have felt put down, we felt forsaken. But God cares for every one of us. Whether you are right at the very top ladder of the society, uh, of, of social society, or whether you feel as if you're the bottom rung God cares for you that makes him a perfect father that he cares for all but continue in the book of Psalms and you also see in the second place that our father is compassionate and turn to Psalm 103 the 103rd Psalm I should say you know children want their earthly fathers to show compassion 
And it's not that an earthly dad needs to be weak. Compassion and weakness are not the same thing. At times, sometimes compassion can even be being tough and showing your children how to, how to fight through certain things, how to work through certain things. It's a sign of compassion, though, that's able to, to, to teach children how to hold their lives together and to care for them no matter what's going on. But God is the perfect example of that. As you see in Psalm 103, begin reading with me in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his, God's, steadfast love. By the way, that's the word we looked at this morning. Toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. And here it is. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, verse 14. He remembers that we are dust. Now, just peeling back the curtain a little bit, I want to confess to you that when I was thinking about this lesson, I actually considered only studying this passage and just looking at all these traits. But instead, I thought, let's take a trip through Scripture and see other attributes of God where He's described as Father as well. But the word translated compassion in verse 13 of that text, you may have the King James and have the word pitieth. He pitieth us or pitieth His children. It's very interesting that that term, the Hebrew term, came from a word that meant to hold or even to touch. And you may think, that's kind of a strange thing. And so you think about what fathers often do, what parents often do. How often when our children are hurting and we want to show them compassion, we may not know the exact words to say, but we sometimes still give a hug, don't we? We sometimes still just walk over and put our hand on top of their little head, and rub their little head, do something to pat their shoulder, do something to show them that whether I know what to say or not, Daddy's here. I have compassion on you. And that's the idea behind that word in Psalm 103, verse 13, that God has compassion for His children. It's the idea, basically, if you let me use this terminology, that God has enough pity to uh, uh, on us to hold us in close. One of my best friends in the whole world is an older gentleman. I admire greatly. He's been an elder at two different congregations throughout throughout his years. And I've heard him lead prayer I don't know how many times. And so often, when he would lead prayer, especially when someone had lost a loved one or when someone was recovering from a very difficult surgery or something like that, he would lead a congregation in prayer. And in, in those prayers, he would say something like, God, would you please... Bring them in close and just hold them a little tighter. And the first time I heard him lead a prayer like that, I thought, I'm not sure I've ever prayed anything like that before. And so I came across this terminology and thought about it. And so then just a little over a year ago, I was honored to preach the funeral for this precious man's wife. And as I led the closing prayer at that service, it was quite emotional. I led that congregation or that group that day in the prayer to the Father. Father, as our brother Ralph would say, We want you to hug him up real tight and hold him close. We can pray certain things like that, not in an irreverent way. We can pray certain things like that because God is Father. He holds us in. He has compassion. We know that God is Spirit. He doesn't physically hold us in close. We all understand that. But in an emotional way, God still has compassion on us and brings us in close because He is a Father. And that's why, by the way, I wanted to read through verse 14 of that text because God understands us. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows and God cares. That makes Him a perfect Father. But for the next, for the rest of our points, you'll have to turn all the way into the New Testament. Turn to the book of Ephesians. 
for number three, where you'll see that God is a father who blesses in the most important of ways. Twice in Scripture, we'll look at both of them under this point, but twice in Scripture, you see God described as a father and in the very same breath, God giving blessings. Fathers bless their children, hopefully. But so often we talk about blessing in in this life and we talk about things that are just of this life. We often talk about things like a job being a blessing or a financial windfall being a blessing, even a car being a blessing. And those things are blessings in a certain way. But when God the Father blesses us, they are things that are immensely more important. In fact, eternally more important. Things that transcend this life. You'll see that in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3. Where Paul said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We'll look at the list in just a moment. But just from that one verse, just notice that he is not talking about physical things. He's blessed us with spiritual things that God gives to us. And I may have missed some in counting them, but I list seven just for easy remembrance of these things. As you go through Ephesians chapter 1, the next 11 verses, you're going to find at least seven blessings. By the way, everything in Ephesians 1 through verse 14 in the original language is one long sentence. My mom was an English teacher, probably would have passed out trying to read it. A 14 verse uh, sentence. But if you look at that down to the next few verses, you're going to see these blessings. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse four, God adopts us as children or as sons. Verse five, God redeems us and forgives us by the blood of Jesus. Verse seven, God makes known to us the mystery of his will. Verse nine, God gives us an inheritance. Verse 11, God predestines us through Christ. Verse 11, and God seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 13, verses 13 and 14. Now you may number them differently. You might may find eight or combine some others to find six or whatever. But just knowing that list is there, it makes the point. Because let me ask the question, on which of those could you possibly place a price tag? Not a one of them. They are all absolutely eternal in value. God provides blessings that are vastly more important than any physical blessing, any monetary blessing we could ever receive. And one reason that's true among many others, but one reason that's true is because if you look at those spiritual blessings, we all realize that we could never gain them of our own doing. God blesses us with things that we could never have or never experience if it were not for Him giving them to us or allowing us to have them. You know, someone might be generous enough one of these days to buy me a car. I'm not trying to give any Christmas gift ideas, I promise, okay? I'm just, this is just an illustration, I promise, okay? That it would be a blessing. And I don't think I'd turn it down. But you've been given amazing gifts in this life before. Maybe it was a car. Maybe it was someone paid off your mortgage. Maybe it was just simply a, an expensive ring or, or a piece of jewelry Something fine, something amazing. And you were thankful. But if you were honest, somewhere deep in the recesses of your mind, you also thought, you know, at some point in my life, I could have bought a car. Or I could have afforded a ring. Or this mortgage would have finally paid off. It's not that you're not thankful. And it's not that you're not amazed by the gift. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you think it's still a thing 
that somehow I could have gotten or received or earned or made enough money to buy. That, that happens with those things. But you look at the list that Paul gives for us in Ephesians chapter 1. There's not a one of them that we could have done anything to earn of our own doing. That's what makes them blessings beyond compare. And Paul's not the only one to talk that way. Because the half-brother of our Lord does the same thing. In James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. In whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. Everything you and I have in this life. That can be considered truly, ultimately good. Is only that way because God made it that way. Why is marriage, for example, when it is done God's way, such a blessing? It's because God made it that way. Why is worship, when it is done in the way that God prescribed, such a blessing to our lives? Because God made it that way. He made it good. And so every good gift is from Him. We could go on and on and on with things like that, that God gives to us as gifts in His way, that if we will follow His way and do things His way, are a blessing that we could never really fully have if it were not for Him. God blesses us because He's the Father. But He blesses us in the most important and deepest of ways. Number four, I want to suggest to you that God is a perfect Father because our Father is accessible. If you're still in Ephesians, it might be on the same opening. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. One of the struggles of being an earthly dad, especially when you have more than one child, is trying to be there, trying to be present, really present for all of your children. Even if you have one, it's difficult because you're a husband, you've got a job, you've got all these things weighing on your mind. But if you have more than one child, how can I be present for my son and my daughter? If you have two sons, how can you be present for both sons all the time? It's impossible to be fully present all the time for each of our children. We understand that. But God is not limited like we are. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And we, we have access to Him all the time. And all of us who are Christians, everyone who is a Christian, has equal access on equal footing. Now, how that can be the case, I have no idea. I can't explain those things about God and how, how those things happen completely boggle my mind. But I know it's the case. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing to a congregation that's filled with both Jew and Gentile. And they're struggling to get along. How do we, how do we get along? We've had these very different backgrounds Paul tries to get them to see they're simply Christians. And notice what he says down in verses 17 and 18 of that chapter. And he, that is Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now notice, for through him, Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How wonderful is that? Paul was saying what Peter had said to Cornelius all the way back in Acts chapters 10 and 11, that God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter if you've been a Jew or if you've been a Gentile, even if you've been a pagan. All that matters now is that you're God's child. You have access to God the Father no matter your background because of what Christ has done. He levels the playing field, if you will. And we all have access to God. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. God's never too busy. God doesn't tell you to hush up because He doesn't have time for you right now. God's not more concerned with this person because they've got a more important spiritual resume than you do. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you have access to God. It doesn't use the term Father, but it reminds you, does it not, of Hebrews chapter 4, that we can come with boldness before the throne of grace because Christ is our high priest. 
Our Father is a perfect Father because He's accessible. And He's accessible to all. And then finally, our God is a perfect Father because He disciplines us for our good. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And by the way, this only the reference will be on the screens on this one because the quotation is too lengthy for the screens. Hebrews chapter 12. It's something we don't like to consider. But if God is a Father and He's a perfect Father, then part of that includes chastising or disciplining us, but only for our good. In Hebrews chapter 12, listen to what the writer says, beginning in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that context, I know. We could spend two or three sermons just in those six or seven verses. But I want you to key in on the phrase that's found at the end of verse 10. It shares the purpose of God's discipline of us. That we may share in His holiness. In other words, God does not discipline or chastise us just arbitrarily. There is a purpose behind it, and it's for our betterment, specifically that we may be made holy by it. And the Hebrews writer goes on to make the point that earthly fathers are going to discipline their children, but they're only going to simply do the best they can, meaning at times they're going to fall short. They're going to make mistakes. Sometimes they're going to discipline when they shouldn't have. They may not do discipline strongly enough. They're going to make mistakes, but they're doing the best they can. And every dad who's in here or someone who has been a dad, you understand we're going to fall short in that area. But we're still doing our best. And if that's true of earthly dads, that we're going to make mistakes then God being a perfect father never will. When he disciplines, it's always exactly what's right and with a perfect purpose behind it. So whether he disciplines us through understanding of his word, whether he disciplines us through the admonition of other Christians, especially Christian leaders, whether he disciplines us through our God-given consciences, it's always because he wants us to be holy. And so he's a perfect father. I read a story some months ago about a young lady who came to see her preacher. She was seeking some type of counseling. She just said she had a problem, wanted to talk with the preacher for a little while, and he gave her a time. She came to his office. But it was obvious from the moment she walked in the door that this was more than just, I've got a problem with something. She was absolutely just furious about something. And in that moment, after the preacher closed the door and Asked for a few pleasantries. She absolutely just unloaded on the preacher. Why'd she do that? She said something like this. My father left us when I was a little kid. And I hate him. And you keep talking about God being our father. How can I trust him? When my father was horrible. 
And the preacher went on, as I was reading this story, to say that this young lady was actually physically shaking because she was so angry and so emotionally distraught and finally unloading this burden that was on her heart. I have a great earthly father, so I can't empathize with that young lady. But I think I can see where she's coming from, at least to a point. When we speak of God as our heavenly father, as I said at the beginning, that picture can sometimes be tainted if it's not by something like what happened to this young lady. It's simply tainted because we see earthly fathers and they're not perfect. We understand they're not perfect, but sometimes we mix those terminologies. But Jesus came and showed us the father. Jesus came and could pray our father in Matthew 6. But he could also pray my father in Matthew 26. That's the same God, the perfect father, who will adopt you into his family. And you can be his child. I've saved one verse for the end and with it will extend the Lord's invitation. And I use this passage to remind you one more time of how wonderful God is as a father. But also to ask you if you're one of his children. Just listen to the words of 1 John 3 in verse 1. See what kind or manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. God has given, God has lavished His love on you because He is a perfect and loving Father. The only question left for me to ask tonight is, are you His child? He's told you how to be adopted into his family through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And then no matter what kind of earthly father you have or have had, you'll have a perfect father. Because your father will be our father in heaven. And you, along with Jesus, can actually pray the words, My father. My father. If you desire that relationship tonight, We invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.